0: Should we say, bell done, right? Good morning to you. Howard Hendricks of Dallas Theological Seminary used to say, a leader is a person with a magnet in his heart and a compass in his head. Joel Barker argues that a leader is a person you will follow to a place you would not go by yourself. Colin Powell asserts that great leaders are among uh, almost always great simplifiers who can cut through argument, debate, and doubt to offer a solution that everyone can understand. But perhaps Napoleon said it best, a leader is a dealer in hope. Today, we are speaking on the subject of leadership. We are on our fourth Sunday tackling leadership lessons from Nehemiah's Notebook. And so far, we have discovered ten practical biblical principles from Nehemiah's notebook on leadership. And today, we're going to add three more to this story. And we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 7 today. Now, there was an ancient orator named uh, Pluvius Cyrus, and he was correct. He said that anyone can hold the helm when the sea is calm. But many times, the sea is not calm. The enemy loves to send squalls and storms. To, so we need leaders who can bring us safely to harbor while bringing the Gospel from point to point along the way. And so, if you would turn with me in the Word of God to Nehemiah chapter 7, let's discover three more leadership principles from the Word of God. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, if you'll reach out in the pew back in front of you, there's a blue pew Bible. And if you turn to page 509, 509 you should find nehemiah chapter 7 as we turn in the word of the lord let's turn to the lord of that word and ask him to bless our time together today lord jesus we invite you to speak to us from your word we sang that man does not live on bread alone but every word that proceedeth from the mouth of god and so here we are today in nehemiah chapter 7 uh, nehemiah a book that's absolutely pregnant with principles on biblical leadership a book that we don't look at enough. And so I pray that You would fill us today with Your truth. I pray that we would see timeless truths on leadership from this text and that we would integrate them. Because even if we uh, don't see ourselves as a leader, as Your people, as people who know the way, and Jesus is the way, we ought to show people the way. And we ought to lead the way. That by our example in Christ-like conduct, They find the Christ that we love. We pray, Lord Jesus, that You would help us in this church to be a church that enables, empowers, develops, and sends out leaders to the glory of God around the globe. We pray that You would teach us things today that would stick with us the rest of our life to Your glory. We pray this. Amen. So the Word of God says in Nehemiah chapter 7, we're going to look at the first several verses and then the last several verses, and then you can go home and read all the hard-to-pronounce names at home. Fair enough? <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 7, Now when the wall had been built, I set up doors and gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites had been appointed. Then I gave my brother Hananiah, and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many." And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they were still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. And the city was wide and large. Listen to that. Verse 4. And the city was wide and large, but the people in it were few. And no houses had been rebuilt. Verse 5. Then my God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy, and I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at first under Zerubbabel, and I found written in it. These were the people of the province who came up out of captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, carried into exile. And they returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town, and they came with Zerubbabel and Joshua and a different Nehemiah, and Azariah and Ramaniah, and, uh, and and so on and so on and so on and so on. It's going to go. And you're going to have about 60 verses of that. Now, look now at verse 66. Verse 66. So he's reading through the original genealogy of who came, trying to figure out who's there and where they're situated today. Verse 66. The whole assembly together was 42,360, besides the male and female servants of whom there were 7,337. And they had 245 singers, male and female. Their horses were 736, their mules were 45, their camels 435, their donkeys 6,020. So pretty specific down to the nitty-gritty. Now, some of the heads of the fathers' houses gave to the work, and the governors gave, and and there's an example of who gave what and when. And so this is our text for the next couple of Sundays. And you go, well, what can we get from a story like that? I mean, there were 60 verses and names you didn't even try to pronounce. They were so hard. Well, there's lots of things in there that we need to see because the Scriptures tell us that all Scripture is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training the man in of God so that he would be fully equipped for all that God has for him so before we delve into our text today which is in Nehemiah 7 let's just review where we've been if this is your first Sunday with us for instance uh, we're going to take a second you've got a handout in your bulletin and it has 10 points let's just do a very quick review in Nehemiah 6, we saw that biblical leaders complete their God-given mission, not just have a good start. That in 52 days, Nehemiah completed the wall. He didn't just start it. Number two, biblical leaders rally God's people to only things God's can do. For 95 years, God's people, 50,000 people couldn't build a wall, but in 52 days, they did it because God was in it. God's leaders rally people to God things only God can do. Number three, biblical leaders achieve things in such a way that even the detractors and opposers Reluctantly recognize the hand of God. The people that have been fighting the work all through the story, when it was done, they realized that the people didn't do it. God did it. Which brings us to the next point. Biblical leaders achieve things in such a way that God gets the glory. Not themselves, and not the organization that they lead. We're not here to glorify Calvary Church. We're here to glorify God. His Son Jesus Christ. We're here to glorify God and His Son Jesus. Biblical leaders understand that the completion of one task is not the end of the opposition. As soon as they built the wall, there were these nasty letters being sent back and forth by one of the uh, toadies in our story, Uh, and so there was still more work to be done. There was more challenges to be overcome. Biblical leaders understand that some of our own team can be compromised and double-minded. Who were the people planted within the situation that were sending the messages to Tobiah the toady? Well, they were some of the nobles of Judah, people that helped build the wall, but they were double-minded, and so there were problems. Uh, point seven, biblical leaders understand that some saints can't tell the good guys from the bad even when God is clearly at work and at work Nehemiah did something only God can do, even the enemies knew God was doing it, and yet there were some that were compromised and were still aiding and abetting the enemy because they really didn't understand who wore the white hats and who wore the dark hats, who were the good guys and who were the bad guys. Uh, Number eight, biblical leaders understand that some friends can be lurking to be leaking, so we need to be careful what we say. Every time Nehemiah said anything, there was somebody reporting that back to Tobiah the toady and causing problems for Nehemiah. Number nine. Biblical leaders understand the need to appoint trustworthy guardians over the work. He appoints his, his brothers, those Hanai and Hananiah. Uh, we have to raise up others who will take places to do more so we can step back and they can step in so there ends up being more people who do more for the work of God. Uh, then we have our final point from last Sunday, number 10. Biblical leaders understand the need for laying out wise guidelines over how the work ought to be handled. So so after they appointed those people, Nehemiah said, now here's what I want you to do. And he was very specific. Uh, Don't open the door until then. Make sure you do this. And at night when you shut the door. And then have these watchmen. It was very specific. We need good guidelines, just like we need good people. And that all brings us to Nehemiah 7.4. Nehemiah 7.4, where we learn this point today. Biblical leaders can see the next challenge even as others are busy celebrating the recent victory. And that's really what separates leaders from followers, friends, is this point. Biblical leaders can see the next challenge, even as others are celebrating the recent victory. Look at verses 5 and 4. The city was wide and large, verse 4, but the people within it were few. And no houses had been rebuilt. They rebuilt the walls, they didn't rebuild the houses. And then God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. Friends, as the people were celebrating this great accomplishment of finally seeing Jerusalem's walls built, uh, they had been leveled long ago. There were 70 years of captivity and 95 years of waiting for the walls to go up. And God did it in 52 days and everyone was excited and they were giving each other high fives and it was a great party. I want you to notice that while the people were celebrating, the leader was still working. His mind was calculating, not just celebrating. Nehemiah realized, though the city was wide and large, the people were few and no houses had been rebuilt. You see, solid walls are futile if there are few folks living in the city to defend it. It's great that the walls had been rebuilt, but we have a great problem. No new houses had been rebuilt. And so there were only sparse inhabitants in certain sections of the whole city. It was kind of a ghost town. There were just some of the priests. There were some of the perfumers and some of the merchants that we mentioned when they were building this wall. That's all that were there. That meant there were these great gaps along the wall from homestead to homestead. Just wall and no home for many, many, many sections. And that was going to be a great problem. The great gaps were a great problem if you were going to keep God's enemies from from overturning and overrunning the holy city. Somebody had to be inside the city to defend the city. Walls alone would not defend the city. Now there was a discipleship guru who went on to be with Jesus. His name was Leroy Imes. And Leroy Imes could have been staring at our passage this morning. He could have been looking right at Nehemiah 7.4 because uh, Leroy Imes famously noted that a leader is one who sees more than others. He sees farther than others, and he sees before others. Everyone else is saying, wow, we have walls, and walls are wonderful. But walls alone wouldn't solve the problem. And so the leader immediately said thank God, praise God, we did what only God can do, and now God, what do we do? He didn't say we're done. Biblical leaders can see the next challenge even as others are celebrating the recent victory. Uh, in this focus, we ought to take a page from our Lord Jesus. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, there was a time when, when things were really moving in His ministry, um, despite holding great throngs of people captivated at His teaching. Despite healing scores of sick and and despite turning many hearts to God, despite making demons turn and run and turn tail. In the midst of a great revival, even when others were begging Him to stay on and do more and take a victory lap, Jesus pressed on. He didn't stay on. Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns as well for i was sent for that purpose friends a biblical leader does not follow momentum he follows god a biblical leader does not just follow momentum he follows god a biblical leader does not rest on his accomplishments he follows god to new accomplishments if a biblical leader can see the next challenge Even as others are busy celebrating the victory of the previous challenge, it raises the question, are you and I asking the Lord daily, show me what you would have me to do next? It's a very important question a Christian ought to ask regularly. Lord, show me what you would have me to do next. You see, some saints get so consumed, so content reliving past glories that they fail to walk with God into the next part of the story. Amen? Our God is not merely a God of yesterday, but of today and forever. What is Jesus prompting us to do next? What does Jesus desire of us today so that we can extend the kingdom of God tomorrow. In this regard, I'm going to ask that you would pray for our elders. Pray regularly for Calvary's elders. Pray specifically that God would show us what God would have us do next. We've done many things over these last several years, and God has done many wonderful things. But what does God want us to do, friends, next? And the only person... Who knows that answer is who? Yeah. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We have to lean into Jesus. We will never outgrow leaning in to Jesus Christ. What area is the next area we ought to prayerfully listen to Him as He leads this church from mountaintop to mountaintop? It's very easy when things are going well to fritter and squander opportunity. Because it's comfortable. It's very easy to let our momentum lead us to coasting. But you know you can only coast downhill. That's what happens when you stop clinging and you start coasting. It goes downhill. Instead of the Lord being our pillar of fire at night and our pillar of cloud at day, moving us along the way only as He guides us, when He guides us, how He guides us, where He guides us, through the desert each day we can begin to go we got this it's going so well and that is a recipe for it to stop going well pray that God would guide Calvary's elders pray that God would guide our committees and our ministries pray that we would not get stuck in a rut spinning our wheels perfecting yesterday's assignments and missing today's assignments Now, Nehemiah was a kingdom accomplisher, not just because he built walls, but because he never stopped listening to what God was prompting. He never stopped following God's leading in his life, which brings us to our second point today, point 12 on our outlines. Biblical leaders lead according to God's prompting. Biblical leaders lead according to God's prompting. It's very clear in the text. It's very clear in the text. Look at verse 5. Then my God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. He was looking at the next problem. Everyone else is celebrating the last victory. He's looking at the next problem. He doesn't know how to solve the next problem. How do I fill this city? I don't have magical uh, Jewish beans that are going to sprout up new Jews in the city. Like, what do I do? And so God laid it on his heart. Now, what do we know about Nehemiah? Nehemiah was a man of... There's arrow prayers, the lengthiest prayer in all the Bible. There's prayer all through. And so probably Nehemiah was... Yeah, and God revealed the next thing. And he said, I don't know what to do. And he prayed again, and God laid it on his heart. That's how it works. You need to lean into Jesus. That's what being a Christian is. We call Him the Lord Jesus. He's not just your Savior. He's not just your fire insurance. He's your living Lord, and He gets to lead us. He gets to lead our families, our careers, our homes, everything. He's the Lord of everything. Now, then my God put it in my heart, To do something, to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. Friends, we are not machines and the Bible is not a math book. We are not machines and the Bible is not a math book. We're not machines, we're relational beings. We were created to have relationship with God and with one another. God deserves and God desires that we have a relationship with Him. In Psalm 91, God tells us that He wants to gather us like a mother hen does her own precious chicks. That God wants to take us under His mighty wing and hold us close to His own heartbeat. That doesn't sound like something that's anything less than intimate with the Lord. Amen? God wants intimacy. We are not machines. We are relational beings. And so too it is true that the Bible isn't a math book. It's a love letter. The Bible is not a a cryptic code where where we try to discover the Pythagorean theorem of following God. No, no, no. The Bible is a love letter from our Heavenly Father that was written to us in the blood of Jesus who died to redeem us and lives to lead us. Are you letting the living Lord Jesus lead you? Or are you running your life with Jesus on a compartment for Sundays and emergencies? Friends, God desires and God deserves to lead us. Notice that Nehemiah is not at all apologetic in how he knew what to do regarding the empty city. Listen to verse 5 again. Then my God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. My mentor's a man named Jim Johnson. He's come here before and preached. And Jim is fond of saying God already has a plan. Use His. God already has a plan for Calvary Church. He already has a plan for your life. He already has a plan for your home. Use His. Use His. We like to duplicate a method. Now, methods are easy to integrate, but it's a submissive posture before God and a listening heart towards God that Scripture is wanting us to cultivate. But the modern church loves methods. Our publishing houses have become adept at finding a church that was in a lurch, that that got out of that ditch seemingly without a hitch. And so then we collectively clamor for their secret. We want a workbook on how to do, how to achieve whatever they achieve. We want to ape a formula. Let me show you what I mean. 40 days to better worship. 40 days to church growth, 40 days to a purpose driven existence, 40 days to making your spouse like you more. For, for... Sticky church, relevant church, the empowered church, whatever. Friends, God doesn't want us to copy a method, He wants us to listen to the master. How many burning bushes did God repeat in Scripture? How many cities after Jericho did God ever tell His people, I want you to march around it seven times then shout? Zero. Even in Scripture when God does something similar, when God parts a mighty water, and He does that in two places... He does it differently each time. One time, God had Moses stretch out His hand, the Bible said, and it parted the Red Sea so the people of God crossed on dry ground. It was dry when they set their foot down. But later, God had the next leader, Joshua, lead them not against the Red Sea, but against the Jordan River. And it was at full flood stage. And that time, the ground didn't part until the priest's sandal hit the water with the ark. Well, what if the ark gets swept away? What if we lose today? God did the same miracle and He did it in a different way because God wasn't interested in teaching us to follow methods. We see the same thing regarding water in the desert. One time, God told Moses to strike the rock. And another time, it was simply to speak to the rock. And when you read the story, Moses got in trouble when he tried to repeat the method. He struck that second rock. When he was supposed to listen to the Master and simply speak to There's a danger in simply following methods for Jesus instead of following Jesus and using His method. There's a danger, friends. There's an old evangelist, uh, Vance Havner, and uh, he could turn a phrase very well. He's from a different era. And uh, he was doing some study in the New Testament and uh, he famously spoke about how Jesus healed three blind people and He did it differently Three different times. One time, He touched the blind person. And they were instantly, totally healed. Another time, Jesus touched the blind man. And He began to see, but He saw things blurry. Not clearly. And so then Jesus touched him a second time. And then He was healed. And then there was a third time, and it's very strange. Jesus spat on the ground and He made mud and He rubbed the mud together and He applied it to His eyes. And only after applying the mud did the man see. And Habner quipped, if those three blind men were alive today, they would have founded three different churches. We'd have the church of the one touch, the church of the two touches, and the Muddites. Why does God seldom repeat His methods? Probably because we would stop following Him and start following methods. Isaiah 48.11 I'd like you to write that down next to this verse 5 in Nehemiah 7 Isaiah 48:11 says God will not give his glory to another. God will not give his glory to another. Friends, it's all too easy for Christians to glorify a method. 40 days instead of glorifying Jesus. Instead of seeking a method, we need to learn to seek the Master. Christian, are you listening to the Lord's leading? Are you in the Word daily? Because He speaks from His Word. Uh, Do you come to Scripture with a reverent posture that says, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Galatians 5.25 says, I believe we have a slide for that. Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step. Now think about keeping in step in the Marine Corps, low, righty, leo, left, righty, leo, left, right, left. And you don't anticipate the command. You don't put your left foot down before the drill instructor says, put your left foot down. Or he has a chat with you to motivate you. And you don't hesitate when the drill instructor tells you to put your foot down. All 40 feet slam down at the same time. In exact obedience to the cadence called by the leader. Friend, Jesus is urging you, keep in step with Me. Don't run ahead of Me. Don't drag your feet behind Me. Don't dream up things for Me. Just listen and obey. Because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to listen and obey. Nine verses earlier in Galatians 5.16, Paul tells us that God not only leads us to Himself, but He also leads us away from the things that will hinder our walk with Jesus. Galatians 5.16 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. You go, how do I win against the sin that keeps in tackling me? And I'm gonna, the answer to that is Jesus. Lean into Jesus. If you run to Jesus, you'll be running away from temptation. Will you not? Yeah. Uh, I've said this before, but young people, as you look for someone to date, and they go, well, who should I I marry? The best advice I ever heard was this. You run as far as you can, as fast as you can, as committed as you can to Jesus. And when you get there, you look to your left and right and see who's kept up, marry that person. Very rarely does that end up being bad advice. Friends, Christianity is not about trying harder. It's about trusting more. It's about learning to lean on Him as He guides us day by day along the way. Now, there's a song that saints used to sing. You seldom hear it anymore. We gave it a go last Sunday. It goes like this. Learning to lean. Learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Finding more power than I've ever dreamed. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Now." Sadly, I've heard saints tell me, well, that's all well and good, Pastor. But God doesn't speak to me. God doesn't seem to lead me. Alright? Are you asking Him? Are you asking Him to lead you? Or are you asking Jesus to take the reins of your life because He knows more and He knows better and you gave your life to Him? Here's what James 1 says. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, so I don't know what to do here, okay? Lean into Jesus. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. James 1.5 Now, God wants you to draw close to him by praying for wisdom. And as you do that, God will often show you. You start praying, God, I don't know what to do here. What's the plan here? Then you get into his word. You know what he tends to do? He tends to start speaking through his word. He tends to start speaking through his people. People come into your life who, who share insight, and you're like, wow. You're ready to receive that. You're listening. You're, you're leaning in. Sometimes God even works through the providential use of circumstances. But God is willing, and He is able in 2018 to lead His people just as clearly as He did with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. Do you believe that? Hmm. God wants you to draw close to Him. God wants you to pray for where He would be leading. Now as you do that, he begins to reveal things to you. But sometimes He doesn't reveal them on the timetable you and I would like. Has that ever happened to you? You're leaning, you're listening, you're praying, you're asking, and He doesn't seem to be answering. Well, there's another verse you need to know, and that's wait patiently on the Lord. The least favorite verse in the Bible, right? Wait patiently on the Lord. God is not always keen to answer us immediately. Do you know why? One of the reasons why is because His goal is Intimacy. His goal is intimacy. Our goal in these matters, if we're really honest, is usually to get the answer. And once God gives us the answer, we start to sort of stop praying. And so God sometimes wisely waits in giving us His answer, so we keep up the more important work of cultivating intimacy with Jesus. Now sometimes, He's willing to answer, but we don't believe that He will answer. And so we quit asking instead of waiting. Instead of Luke 18, 1, that we should always pray and not give up. We get a certain point and we sort of give up. Now James has something to say about that as well. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. But let him who asks, ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. All right. Now sometimes we think, we're funny people, right? So (laughs) as I was thinking through these things, where are the roadblocks I've heard people come to me and ask questions about, about walking with Jesus? Sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm pretty sure God can lead me in the positive things. Uh, Should I take this job or that job? Should I date or marry this person or that person? The positive things. But somehow we get trepidatious when our situation is precarious. Will God still lead when we have a formidable foe in front of us bearing their fang? Well, absolutely. I want you to remember in our story, Nehemiah had Sanballat the Horonite, he had Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arab, and all three were hounding God's people all through the story. They were all allied and arrayed against Nehemiah. Why did Nehemiah have to build walls? Because the people of God had enemies. And they wanted to destroy the city of God. That's why they needed the wall. That's the whole story. The story isn't can God lead us only when things are good. The whole story is leading us when things are hard. God sent Nehemiah to build the walls for the reason, and the reason was there were enemies surrounding and hounding the people of God. Now, Scripture is clear that God is capable of leading us in the face of the fangs of our foes. I want you to listen to Psalm 5 and verse 8. Psalm 5 And verse 8. I think we have a slide for that as well. Lead me, O Lord, in Your righteousness because of my enemies. Lead me, O Lord, in Your righteousness because of what? It's not my righteousness. It's not lead me in Your righteousness because of my... It's lead me, O Lord, in Your righteousness because of my enemies. Make Your way straight before me. Is the way ever crooked, clouded, and confused because the enemies are before You? A man after God's own heart had a solution to that. He learned to lean on God. God can lead us when times are precarious. In fact, if we are wise, you're going to understand that the only way you're going to get out of precarious times is not leaning on your own understanding, but leaning on the one who has full, true wisdom and understanding. The last thing we need to do when times are hard is look to our own wisdom. Listen to the heart of a man after God's own heart. I'm just going to share some Scriptures with you. Psalm 16. Psalm 16, verses 7 and 8. David says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Friends, who counseled David? The Lord. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Lying in bed, he's able to contemplate on the Word he had written. The Word that God had given. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. David had problems, but he put his eyes on the solution. With Him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. In Psalm 31.3, David writes, Since You are my rock and my fortress, for Your sake of Your name, lead and guide me. God, I'm Yours, and I'm in over my head. For Your sake, lead and guide me. Maybe nobody should show up to rescue Sean Doyle. But maybe for the sake of Jesus' name and He's put His claim on my life, maybe I can say, God, maybe I need You to show up and rescue Sean Doyle. Because I did it, I'm in a mess again. Can you, does that resonate with you at all? Yeah. In, in Psalm 61, 1 and 2, David writes, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint, things were not good. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. This wasn't self actualization, this was dependency. On Jesus. In Psalm 143.8, David writes, I will put my trust in You. Show me the way I should go. For to You I entrust my life. The wisest saint that ever lived was Solomon, right? Solomon writes this in Proverbs 3, that we are to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and not lean on our own understanding. In all of our ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight our paths. Be not wise in our own eyes, but turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Learning to lean. Learning to lean. God used uh, Nehemiah because God led Nehemiah. And God can use and lead you and I as well. Which is why Jesus tells us in Matthew 7:7, Jesus tells us, ask and it will be given to you. Not for perks and perks and you know, Rolexes and a full Rolodex. No, it, it's walking with me, bringing my kingdom to fruition and your life making a difference for me. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open. Are you inviting Jesus to lead you? Or are we trying to work our plan, our way, on our timetable? If so, we may find that we are miles away from God's plan, that we have lost the way and we are wasting our time. Now, just as biblical leaders lead according to God's promptings, so too it is true, point 13 today. Biblical leaders do what it takes to understand where we really stand. Biblical leaders do what it takes to understand where we really stand. Nehemiah saw his new challenge with great clarity. He saw that despite the walls, the holy city was empty. So it was totally vulnerable. And so God prompted him, you need to repopulate the city. And how was he going to do that? He was going to take stock of where everyone already lived all throughout Judea. So he could ask some of those people who lived in Judea to move. To move into the holy city. But he had to make sure that he didn't empty out one area too severely or the enemy would take that area. He had to make sure he didn't so decimate one corner because they had an agricultural society that no crops came in from that quadrant. And there wasn't enough food to feed the people. He had to look at the big picture even as he had to solve this pressing matter of defending the city. I want you to listen to verse 5 again. Then God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials. He got a team around him. And the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And this genealogical accounting will happen for 60 more verses that you can read in the privacy of your own home. But don't miss this. At God's prompting, Nehemiah began the laborious process to know with certainty exactly where they really stood. Exactly how many folks he had. And exactly where they resided. So they could be strategically repositioned to take up residence to form the main defenses in the walled, but essentially empty, holy city. Now, did you know that taking a full census was tedious? It was time-consuming. Taking a full census was not at all thrilling. It was not at all exciting. But it was an essential precursor to the needed realignment of kingdom resources. Biblical leaders do what it takes to understand where they really stand. Sometimes this involves tedious administration. Sometimes it involves a, a pedantic rereading of boring documentation. Remember, they had to go back and read the genealogy of all the hard to pronounce names for the 60 verses I'm sparing us? Wasn't well, super exciting, friends. Sometimes to understand where you really stand, it's about as fun as eating a bowl of unflavored oatmeal cooked in room temperature tap water. That'll sell. Friends, leading isn't always glorious, it's often laborious. Leading isn't always glamorous. Sometimes it's downright tedious, and that's where it was in his story today. But biblical leaders do what it takes to understand where they really stand. Unbiblical leaders, well, they focus only on what excites and delights not on doing things right. There's a big difference between a biblical leader and an unbiblical leader. Self-centered leaders focus only on what energizes and exercises themselves. But biblical leaders do what it takes to understand where they really stand, even if it's not personally, existentially fulfilling. How many of you remember this? Sometimes you got to eat your vegetables. Do you remember that? Who said that to you probably? Your parents. We all said, our parents said that. you got to eat your vegetables. Because parents understand this. Make sure that those that you put over your family, Sunday in and Sunday out, are prudent parents, friends. Not charismatic children who would rather skip eating their vegetables and fill us up on cotton candy from the pulpit on Sunday. You see, churches led by charismatic children gorging on cotton candy, they eventually get sick. And sick churches struggle to fight off spiritual infection. And they can't stand firm against spiritual defection. And so leaders need to deal with what matters, not just what is fun. If you want fun, go to the circus. Go to the carnival. Go to the amusement park. But if you want kingdom accomplishment, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Who for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your own blood as the Lord did. And so to those ends, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're looking at these three principles today. We're looking at how to help this church follow you. And the first thing we learned is that biblical leaders can see the next challenge even as we're busy celebrating the recent victory. Lord, would you, would you bless our leaders? Would you bless our committees? Would you bless our ministries? Would you bless our elders? Lord, would you help us to be able to see the next even as we celebrate what you have done? Lord, help us never to be satisfied this time of this side of eternity. But help us to press on to never grow weary in doing good, for we believe that in time we will reap a harvest. You've done so much, and we would love to see you do so much more. So much more in Essex Fells, and the Caldwells, and Whippany, and Parsippany, in Roseland and beyond. We'd love to see you do so much more in, in New Jersey, in Pennsylvania, in New York City, in the United States, in North America, and all the way over to Cambodia and every place in between, would you, would you use this little church that has no right to be a kingdom-impacting church? But because we're learning to lean, would you enable us to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine? That you would raise up saints that when we get to heaven, we would meet people that came to know Jesus because in some small way, we did something more than just exist. We invested to win friends in heaven, as Jesus tells us to do. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would be a church that individually would respond to Your prompting. Not that we would go crazy and blame You for stuff that we dreamed up. Help us to be able to differentiate between last night's microwave burrito and the prompting of the Spirit. Help us to be word-saturated and yet keeping in step with Your Spirit's leading. Help us not to be Pharisees who shine their phylacteries, who hit people with rules, but help us to be Christians who feed on the Word of God. Uh, Let this pulpit be a place that does what you asked Peter to do. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my little lambs. May this be a place that's safe for new Christians to grow and non-Christians to know Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we wouldn't look to tricks and gimmicks. Lord, help us to adopt best practices. If there's someone else who's already attacked this problem and has come to a biblical solution, Lord, help us not to have to reinvent the wheel. But at the same time, help us not to look to the methods of man and and putting you over in a corner where we can effectively run the church like a business instead of looking to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, it's such a a challenging thing. Would You speak to us from Your still small voice? Would You speak to us from Scripture? Would You help us to learn to lean on Jesus? And Lord, we pray that we'd find more power than we've ever dreamed because You're not asking us to do things for You. You're asking us to be submissive to You. That You can do things in us and through us and with us and very often in spite of us that would bring You glory and not just ourselves. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would do the things that maybe aren't always glamorous, the things that are sometimes tedious, the things that are necessary to do things decently and in order. Please, Lord Jesus, we ask that You would guide this church so clearly that it would be like a pillar of fire in the night. We can't miss it. So clearly that it would be like a pillar of cloud. And I think of that, not only was that clear to see, but I bet in a hot desert it was joyous to sit under and stay under its shade. And when they stepped away from Your timing, they would be under the withering sun in the desert. So Lord, not only did You lead them, but Your leading was refreshing. Refresh us. Revive us again. Because we learn to lean in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.